Welcome back to another episode of the Resellers Mindset Podcast. My name is Mike, also known as the Used Book Guy on YouTube, along with my friend and fellow full-time reseller, Johnny B. We help people start and grow their reselling businesses from the ground up. We also have a weekly Zoom call and private Discord for all YouTube members. Head on over to youtube.com backslash usedbookguy to join the channel and gain access to the full-length podcast, Zoom call, and private Discord today. Let's get into this week's episode. What is up, everybody? Welcome into episode 15. I have 10. These other gentlemen can figure out the other five here. That was that three. Episode 15 here. We are going to talk about the importance of knowing your numbers. And when we talk about numbers, we mean your actual, you know, the actual money you make at the end of the day. You see, we have our first guest here. Paul is basically the numbers man. He kind of was like a blessing in disguise to uh, myself, at least this past year, because he's real good with understanding numbers and how to basically get to your bottom dollar when it comes to this. So, uh, Paul, you want to give a little introduction of who you are and what you do? Sure. Uh, my name is Paul. I spent the last 20 years working in the IT industry before books, and my job turned into analytics because we had so many tools that couldn't talk to each other, and we didn't have any way to measure, you know, what was going on. And, you know, I learned pretty quickly, I can't just meet with management and say, uh, you know, subjectively that I need more people or I need more of this or I need more of that. So I had to figure out a way to get information from these various tools and allow them to talk to each other to do some analytics to figure out where we were. Um, and that played very well when I came over, you know, here to uh, in my resale, you know, career, you know, uh, learned very quickly that just because I used whatever tool to figure out what my estimated profit was, that didn't mean that was going in my pocket. You know, what else is involved? What are all the Amazon, you know, fees on the backside, all of my expenses and allow me to figure out the right products to buy and uh, how much profit i needed to make to get hit my objectives where i needed to be income wise so that's my short journey to here i'll pick on uh, i'll pick on myself first and i'll pick on johnny b here personally for me i i knew hey i'm making money right you're getting you're getting a deposit every two weeks from amazon you know or ebay either or but do you really know how much of that money is actually profit, right? What if you you get a paycheck for $2,000, but you actually spent more than $2,000? So I guarantee you probably anybody listen, listening to this right now does not know exactly how much they're making on a single book sale on Amazon or eBay. If you factor in everything you should be factoring in, and I can 100% sit here and admit to it that uh, it, it's a lot to figure out, right? How to even go about figuring out those steps. And I had no idea how much you actually make. If you're out scanning and say your trigger sets for $5, you scan it, it says profit is $5. Well, there's a lot of things that are going to come out of that all the way down to your subscriptions. And you don't think about that, right? Because you're just out in the thrift store. You're not saying, oh, my subscriptions to, you know, your listing software, your, your scanning software, uh, there's so many different things that have to be taken into consideration. And I wasn't doing that at all until Paul came along, thankfully, and said, hey, do you really know your numbers? Well, at the time, I said, yeah, I really know my numbers. But I wasn't even close to really knowing my numbers. And uh, I'm curious here what uh, Johnny B's, if he actually knows his numbers down to that kind of level where everything is taken out, even your subscriptions. I'm not as granular as Mr. Paul. Paul is my better when it comes to that, as I think he is most people's betters. Um, I have a rough idea, and I know 
most of it, but sitting down and inputting it like Paul does, um, no, I'm nowhere even close. Um, I aspire to be more like Paul in that regard. I do need to be, keep better track of my number taking uh, as it's very important to know everything. Somebody should ask you the baseline question and without looking at it, you should be able to answer that. I, I'm a firm believer in that. Am I capable of doing it at this point in time? No, I'm not. Yeah, Does to, it to to, to their point right there, so just take su subscriptions as a for instance to to play to exactly what Mike was saying. If you if you, you know the tools I use are Scout IQ, Scanlister, Keepa, Reprice it, and then our my monthly Amazon Pro account. Right. If you add those all up annually, right now for me that's fifteen sixty six. So if you sold sixteen hundred books a year, you need to add a dollar to your cost right there just for subscriptions. When you're taking into account what you what you're buying and how you need to price it. So there's just one variable that most people don't take into account. They just put, oh yeah, I paid two ninety nine at the bookstore for this book. Well, oh, I'm making five bucks, but you're not really making five bucks. You're making four dollars, and there's a whole bunch of other expenses to consider as well. So I n I never took that into consideration. Uh, never once did it ever cross my mind from day one until you kind of broke down the numbers that those things even mattered, right? You just assume, oh yeah, well, it's just part of it. Well, not actually, because when you're out scanning and you see the $5, you're thinking it's a $5 bill coming to you, right? But, you know, even if you're getting it for free, it's still not nowhere near the $5 that you think you're getting for for the item. And I think it's, I think it's super important that a lot of, you know, resellers, whether you're doing this part-time or full-time, is actually understanding your numbers down to how much you're making, how much you need to be at when you're out scanning and sourcing, because what happens is you just create more work for yourself. You're not turning a dollar into two. Maybe you're turning your dollar into a dollar, or maybe you're turning your dollar into 90 cents and you know, you're working and you're losing money, but you don't know that because you just see the initial number when you're out scanning. Yeah. And that model is going to end up being a little bit different for everybody, Mike, right? Cause we're all traveling a little bit of different differences. We may have books being, you know, I could order Gaylords and have them delivered to my house, or I could be, you know, out there driving every day. Mike's buy cost is one fifth what mine is, you know, and Johnny's is different as well. So, you know, the, you know, but the key is to know what are the items that I need to measure uh, to determine how much I need to, you know, sell books for to make what I need to make. And if you don't have all that information, then uh, you don't know. Hard. It's right. hard to hit a tar it's hard to hit a target. You don't you can't if you can't measure it, you, you don't know where you're at, you don't know what you have to fix, and you don't know how to adjust your model. And sales mean nothing. Right. Sales are meaningless. Like if you want a hundred thousand dollars but you're buying dollar profit books and you can't calculate how many dollar profit books you even made to make clear in your bank account. And then there's a secondary question, is that after tax or not? Is that you got to factor all of these fun numbers in. Right. I think it's, uh, I'm, I'll I'll sit here, I'll, I'll, I'll die on this hill that I'm going to say 90% of resellers don't understand the actual number they're making on an item they sell. I'm talking after everything. No, I, no, they don't. I was saying, I was even thinking 90% might even be low. I was going to say 95 because how many people actually out there when they scan something say, okay, this is, says $5 profit. Well, my buy cost is a dollar. Amazon's going to take $2. Uh, you know, 
the the storage fees, which you don't know, right? You don't know how long it's going to take for something to sell if it's sitting in Amazon. There's so many other things that you you don't see on that screen that we just don't care about. And that's that's the honesty of it. Nobody cares about it because it's not there, right? You can't plug it in Scout IQ a certain number that, hey, this is how much it's probably going to cost in storage fees. You're just like, well, none of that stuff matters. Those are just basically things I need to have. Yeah, there are things you need to have, but there are things you need to take into consideration when you're going after lower profit items. Yeah, you're, uh, just your inventory fees from a storage, long-term disposable return, potentially label labeling, you know, I spent $600 a year or $600 on that last year, five ninety nine ninety six. dollars You know, just half of that was return fees. And my, my return percentage was in line, but, you know, you're getting charged for everything, Amazon, you know, and that's not, none of that stuff's going to be taken into account on Scout IQ or Scoutly or whatever tool you're using. None of it. Right. I noticed that early on when I was messing with my stuff, I went in the back end to see what what are my actual fees there? And I'm looking at what Amazon actually charges me. It's not factored in at all. Funnily no. enough, why isn't it? Like, how do I know what my profit is? It'd be great if it was, but they don't right. do that for, I don't know why they, Mike, why don't they do this? Why don't they factor in all the fees that you and I would look at? It's just one of those things where they would have to implement, you know, some kind of average system, right, based on the e-score. So how long is it going to sit before it sells? And then you have to factor in the size of it because it goes off cubic feet. Um, I think there's just too many different factors for them to put it in. And it's just, why should they, you know, like they don't care, right? You know, they just want the software that says accept or reject. They're not really worried about how much Paul's really making at the end of the day when he scans that book. Yeah, it'd be hard for them to, to project you know, when this book is going to sell, uh, you know, based on how many are up there, what's the demand going to do? You know, when, when we look at Keeper or whatever you use and whatever tool you're using, th this book is somewhere between brand new high demand and in death throws where it's, you know, FBM $5, you know, or less. And it's somewhere in that cycle. And the day you scan it is not the day it's at Amazon too. You got to consider, right. Um, you know, it could take, you know, by the time you box it and get it there, it might be received in four days. It could be three weeks or nightmares. I've, I've seen lots of people going, I haven't checked all my stuff and yet. It's been a month or two. Uh, so, you know, your book's not, they're not necessarily always going to sell at what you're seeing this moment. Sometimes they can be more, but generally it's less. Yeah. A lot of the times it's usually, you know, at least I would say 10% less because you're a repricer, you know, if sure, you know, you're going to have your one-offs where it goes up or it sells right away. But for the most part, you're always selling at least 10% less. Your repricer is going to take at least a day or two to get you the sale. And if it's a little, you know, slower moving, you figure if we're repricing 20 times a day at a penny, that's 20 cents a day per book. So if you just compound that over how, many, how much you have in inventory, you know, you're talking, you know, hundreds of dollars over time, depending on how quick something is going to sell. There's so many factors besides that number you see when you scan the book that a lot of sellers overlook, I think. No, 100%. So, Paul, in your opinion, what is the most important number on your scanning tool when you're scanning? What do you think is the most important number? Is it the profit? Is it the e-score? Is it the sales rank? I think, you know, estimated profits, you know, is always going to be the first, you know, as we've talked over time, you know, I mean, I just, without even getting deep into the analytics in the beginning, I knew that 
I had to sell books for more money. Um, you know, so $35 profits fix a lot of wrong, right? It fixes a wrong e score or a long tail book. You know, it fixes, there's 15 copies up there. Um, so I think that's the, the first priority. And then the other two come in there yoked pretty closely, but we need to take, you know, it's a triangle, right? We need to take those three components together, but stop buying $5 profit books, people just stop, stop, stop. If I could give any recommendation out there, um, you know, be looking, if you're an FBA model, you know, I, you know, for where I am, I, you know, I don't buy much under $25 profit unless it's, you know, it's got a 151, you know, e-score. Um, you know, I had a, I had one month last year of over $12,000 only having 540 books in stock. Uh, so it can be done, but if you don't know your numbers to know where you need to be, I think a lot of people are working potentially really hard for, you know, very different results. Just keep I will skating. own up to it. I am this person. I did that for this year. It sucked. It sucked just, so much. Just keep scanning. There are profitable books out there. It might not be the right store. You might not be on the right um, route, you know, depending on what you want to call your days that you go out in different directions to different places. And it may take you a quarter to figure out what are the right places for me to go to, to buy books at. It's, it's, uh, it's not instant. We all know that you don't just start this business and you're making money tomorrow. Uh, but if you figure out the right locations, uh, and just scan books, raise that profit number, Johnny, I think that fixes a lot of wrong to answer your question. I think so too. I think so too. So, well, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll bounce it over to Mike. Uh, in your opinion, what are the most important numbers? Just like I asked Paul there, what do you think is the priority when scanning? Is it the profit? I mean, it, it has to be right. But I would contest that, you know, the sell the sell through matters just as much. Right. Um, but the right. profit is the ultimate driver, but it's like, you know, if something's a super slow mover, and uh, the profit isn't or the profits there, you know, is it worth taking a risk on that? Or if it's the other way around, you know, the, the e-score is super low and the profit's super high and you send it in and it never sells and it sits there for five years, all the fees you've accrued on that, you know, then all of a sudden it doesn't make it worth it. It's like you got to find a balance between both of them for it to make sense. And I mean, I just kind of think about let's break down, you know, a five hour profit book with no buy costs that you scan out in a thrift store today. So you see the $5 on Scout IQ, whatever scanning app you're using. So that that's going to take into consideration the base FBA fee, right? So the base basis FBA fee is out of the way. Then they're going to factor in your storage fee, right, forever, however long that is. We all know the fees are going to continuously go up. And we're, we're kind of in that situation now where fees are going to be going up here this year. So it doesn't take that into consideration. Your buy cost, because most of us use zero buy cost because everywhere we go is a different uh, buy cost. So that's another thing we got to take into consideration. And then your subscription fees. Honestly, I would say you probably make around two bucks if you're, if that's on the high end on a $5 book, if you're taking into consideration every single thing that's supposed to come out that you're not thinking about. Fuel, wear and tear on your car. You know, there's, there's a lot of things to consider, you know, in all this. So let me ask you this, Paul. I mean, you kind of mentioned this 151 e-score. Would you pick up a $5 book with a 151 e-score? No, absolutely not. Really? 
I like absolutely it. not. Now, nope. if you had, what what's the minimum you would pick up on a one fifty one e square? Fifteen bucks. Fifteen bucks. Wow. Because there's a lot of demand and there's a lot of jokers out there that are just going to undercut, undercut. Now the repricers hit those, you know, it's going to get undercut, you know, profit wise. Um, you know, and at some point the demand is going to come down. So 15 bucks, you know, I still got to handle it. It's still my time. You know, I'm still out there driving. Just, I don't even give it a second thought these days, Johnny. And a year ago, I would have snapped that book up in a heartbeat. Nope. 15 bucks. I'm going to ask you the same question, Mike. 151 e score. It's gonna sell, man. It's gonna sell. What's the lowest you would take? In my in my defense, I have not been living the Paul life long enough to be about to leave. My number's half the number Mike says here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna I'm gonna say uh I'll say seven bucks. See, I'm picking mine up to three, three fifty. I mean it's crazy to think about though, right? We all have completely different things, and Paul's talking about, you know. He but sold it, the half amount of books that I did. So he basically labeled half the amount of books, paid half the amount of stickers, uh, selling books on Amazon, and basically made the same amount of money as me. So it's it's crazy to think about when you really start looking at the numbers. Just because something's profitable doesn't mean you should buy it and try to sell it. That's 100% not the right way to look at it. You should You should be analyzing what you're sending in and have a business model that makes sense. Because if you just go in and buy everything that's green, even if even if you have Paul's triggers, uh, you're still going to be buying stuff you shouldn't be buying, right? You have to analyze every single every single book. And I've been getting better at doing this because previously I was just like, oh, it's an accept, throw it in the cart. I'm not even looking to see what's going on with the with the screen, with the the offers. We all know the FBA offers get way out of line sometimes. So there's a lot that goes into it, kind of that I, I used to overlook. And now this year I'm trying to trying to pivot and be more smart about my time my money and the bottom line. So basically you create less work for yourself, but you make the same, if not more money. No, I agree. Now, Paul, your model that you've been working with is essentially anti-bulk model. Um, It's very choosy on what you pick up. Now, thinking about your own business here, if you were to scale up what you did in bulk, how would you imagine that working with, like with employees in a factory kind of deal or warehouse. Yeah. The only way I could do more would be, yeah, get, uh, get one of my less than exuberant grandchildren involved or somebody that I got to teach the business to a little bit, you know, involved. Uh, but yeah, it would have to be other people, you know, I know, I know my area, I know where the profitable books are. I have a lot of competition. <laughs> um, but yeah, there have to be other people involved sending them out to, uh, you know, to get books for me. Do you have stores that you just never go to? Absolutely. You know, or stores that the frequency, you know, I'd hit them, you know, you hit them enough times to know that, okay. And once you ask the question, how many books do they get in? How often, depending on their operations, um, you know, you hit them once every two weeks or once a month, you know, or you just hit them by happenstance when you're by because the bottom of the barrel gets to that point. Right. Um, and again, the numbers tell, right. I track, Every one of my SKUs has coding information into it. So I can tell you what store I bought it from, the day I bought it from, how long it was at Amazon. And I do that with a minimal amount of effort. You know, I have Scanlister do most of that work just by encoding the beginning part of my FNSKU number with some information that has date coding in it and um, uh, source information, you know, in there. So, 
you know, time will tell, okay, how many books are you buying there? And what, you know, what, what percentage are you flipping them at? You know, I can tell you I bought 1,750 books last year and I sold 1,801. So my, my sell through, at least on a 365 day basis is 102%. So I'm selling everything that I get, um, you know, and a few of those were left over from the, the previous year. So if you're not tracking, you know, you'll eventually figure it out just by memory, right? That, Hey, you know, these are selling, these are not, you know, uh, but uh, tracking it properly uh, will answer the question for you. I admit that was kind of my uh, my big thing was uh, understanding your sources and how profitable they are with your sell through and just in general, right? Because he's talking about he's selling a hundred percent, hundred two percent of stuff he lists. Now for me, it's probably closer to like eighty, right? So then I got to factor in not only am I doing more work. But I'm also paying more because I have to get all these things removed and, you know, liquidated. So there's even more more expenses by not being as picky and smart about what you're buying than just being dumb when you buy the thing. There's actually long term repercussions, not just right then and there at the buy. Now, for you, Paul, do restock limits matter? No. Nope. Care to expand for the audience out there? Well, again, it depends on your average sale price, right? My average sale price is 36 and change and, you know, 12 grand in a month is not, you know, income wise is nothing to sneeze at. And again, I, I did that one month uh, and that carried me through the end of the year. I stopped scanning and sourcing then because I knew that Social Security was coming and I was starting my retirement phase of life, right? I'm still scanning, still selling now just on a smaller level. But if you can sell 12 grand in a month on say 600 books do you need to worry about storage limits only if they go to 5.99 <laughs> again it's all about you know for me it was about average sale price right and like mike said earlier yeah you, you know it's a triangle right you do have to factor the other items in i'm not buying you know that i i, I think i sold three or five books last year for over 300 dollars. you know i remember one of those distinctly it was about uh, mechanics of heat pumps and heat transfer or something. It was a book from 1994. It wasn't even a modern book. Uh, and the E-score was uh, two. So I'm like, all right, it's going to take me six months to sell this book. But I bought it for 299 and it was listed for 333 or 338, one of those two. I sold it in two months. It got returned eight months later and Amazon accepted the return. And I was thrilled about that. But then it sold two weeks later for 333 again. So I sold the same book, you know, twice. So, yeah, I mean, if, you know, long tail is okay as long as there's hundreds of dollars of profit involved in it. You know, was there some risk there? Yeah, there was $3 worth of risk and maybe a little bit of, you know. Uh, but I think the key, you know, again, is just keep scanning until you find the more profitable books. So to answer your question, I'm not worried about it. I didn't need to scale beyond that. And again, I might be in a little different boat. My house is paid for, my cars are paid for and all that. So I didn't need as much income, but I know if I hit that number one month, I could hit that number every month and that's going out four days a week and putting four good days in and one day of processing, we'll say. A normal, a fairly normal work week. Nice. Now, do you do anything besides Amazon as far as the book business goes? Do you do eBay, Macari? I do have a, uh, I do have an eBay account. We got about 265 feedbacks over there going back to 1999 uh so long uh, a long time um i think i sold probably a half a dozen books last year on ebay not a lot uh 
you know, things, you know, but things that I'm picking up that are worth a hundred bucks and they're still selling for at least, you know, $80 on e I don't do anything on eBay unless it's a $50 bill. If it's not a $50 bill, I don't, you know, I don't do anything over there. So I do sell some I other stuff, some other $50 bill a while back. So I like Paul's answer here. I like it a lot. You know, I do, I do so, do some other, you know, hard goods and some, you know, mid century or early century glass. There's some, some areas I have some expertise in. And, you know, when I truck around the, you know, the thrift stores, you know, I'll pick a few items up, you know, here and there. And, uh, you know, not enough that it's, you know, I was having too much fun and making, you know, much more money selling books. So I moved away from some of that stuff. Sure, sure. But now uh, that just backs up what we talked about in our previous podcast. I mentioned if you're pure part time, you probably just want to focus $50 books or more. So I love that he said $50 makes me so happy on the inside. I'm going to I'll be the I'll be the little guy here that's probably listening to this right now saying how there ain't no way I'm finding $35 on average profit books out in my thrift store. What would your response be to that? I'd make sure that I'm hitting thrift stores that are not too far from anything to do with college towns. Uh, that's, you know, that's key, right? Cause it's, it's about reference. It's about medical, you know, we have self-help, you know, in there, certainly any anime, you know, good anime and graphic stuff, novels we could find, but, you know, and there are some categories that surprised me here and there, whether they're, you know, gardening books or, yeah. or, um, quilting books if we went through my listing right now we brought up the number of quilting books that i sold for 25 to 80 dollars i bought one that was on blueberry quilts of baltimore or some it's like 12 pages i mean you know how big most quilting books are that sold for 85 dollars i paid 99 cents for it you know uh, so there are some categories that could surprise you but in my experience uh, if you don't have densely populated areas, the thrift stores that are in more college areas have better books because in the end, we're not buying fiction stuff, right? Most of it is reference or teaching or it's in a, you know, it's a vertical about guns or, you know, war can be decent, you know, when you scan, you know, through those. Uh, but I love going through crafting as well, which you can find anywhere. So um, you're not allowed to come to my eBay store then, Paul. Because it's all fiction mainly on my eBay store. Okay. No, I agree with you on the Amazon front. Absolutely. Nonfiction is the way to go. So get better sources is what is what this whole thing sums up to. How Spend enough time in your thrift stores uh, to make sure that you're getting the books when they first come out. Because you don't know how you know how unless you see them you don't know who else was there right or how many you know i think reezy reese said once you know if you go there all the time and you're not finding anything it's because one of my ninjas already knew what time the books or whatever was going to be out and he already snagged them you know um making sure that when they're putting books out you are there as first as you can be um and then because that's the only way to answer the question and ask them, you know, are these just books that came into your store? You know, like in my area, you know, one of my large, actually both, you know, Goodwill and my other large source here, they ship all their books to a central location. Goodwill does resell online here. Uh, they go by Ivy League, Ivy League something. And they have a couple hundred thousand feedback. That's how long they've been doing it. They have uh, handicapped people scan the books. And then uh, what they don't sell online themselves on Amazon, they redistribute back out to the stores. 
now, not all of the stores comply with that because they don't get enough books in. They only put out what they get. So a couple of them just don't follow all the uh, the rules. And those folks don't catch everything. If there's a Barnes & Noble label on the back of it, they don't peel it off. They just scan the Barnes & Noble and ship it out, you know, or they don't look up ISBNs or anything. But that was as much of my success to answer the question Johnny asked me earlier, you know, as making sure that I was scanning the right profit, getting to know the stores, knowing when those books went out and making sure I'm there first. Now, beyond the chains, um, what do you think is the best um, sourcing place? Is it uh, estate sales, garage sales, mom and pops, uh, auctions? One of my favorite sources from last year was going to Craigslist and looking up church rummage sales. Uh, I went, I went to a St. Mary's sale. I don't know. I think it was like August. This place had no AC. It was 110 degrees inside. And, uh, and there was a gazillion people in line. I was there on Friday night, $10 early bird special. I went in and there were thousands of books and boxes all over the floor. And the first four books I scanned were all the same nurses book that all sold for $91 each. I spent $60 that day. And those books sold for, let me see, I got my sheet up here, $1,600 um, in short order. So, you know, that's just one of them. I, you know, I love those because they're not commonplace and people like to donate to the church rummage sale and mom and dad gather up whatever college books or whatever was left. And there was, there was great racing books. There was everything in there. Um, obviously lots of religious books. They, it was a school as well. So they had lots of teaching material in there from this Catholic school, but uh, that's one of my favorite places to go. Mom and pops can be so hit or miss. I'm sure, you know, Johnny, I mean, they just don't get that many books donated a lot of times. They don't. So I tend to hit them along the way occasionally in between you know my my other stops or just ask them some questions about when they put them out you know or or hey if you get a donation of books in would you mind if i leave your number i leave my number for you and if you gave me a call you know i'd gladly come over if you get a couple of boxes you know where the books and that's worked out you know just you know they'll let you know hey somebody just dropped off a truckload of books you know uh you know and you go check them out uh you know at, at you know as time permits but uh, for me 98% of my books come from uh, two big name chained thrift stores. Now, I'm glad you mentioned the church rummage sale because one of my best little pickups this year was a pastor who died. I got his personal library, his church library. And after I was done packing it all, my truck was fully loaded down. She comes out to me, the lady who was selling me all the stuff. It's like, you want his bookshelves too? I'm like, yeah, I do. Uh, I still got it. These are custom built by him. They're like eight, ten foot shelves. I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to put it on the truck, but yes, I'm going to take them. Nice. So yeah. when you figure out your number, right? So say you know you go down this rabbit hole like I did, and you actually break down your numbers and you see exactly what you're making, what you're losing. Uh, it's gonna it's gonna blow your mind. Every single person that actually sits down and looks at that number, you know, Hey, I'm making 80 cents per book, even though what I'm out scanning, it says $5. It's going to make you think completely different about your business and your business model. And I know it's, it's hard to sit here and think to yourself, you know, wow, there's no way this, this works at that level, but clearly it does because Paul's proof of it. So, and there's many other people out there like Paul, that don't have nowhere near the inventory that we carry and are making a whole lot more money 
doing a whole lot less work when it comes to Amazon. So you gotta, you gotta get in your head. Sure. You can do it, you know, my way and try to send in thousands and thousands, but as fees increase, your margins get slimmer and slimmer and slimmer, and you're not turning your dollar into five anymore. You're turning your dollar into a dollar 10. And unfortunately that's not, that's not sustainable in the long run. Yeah, the, other cool th the other cool thing about knowing your numbers, Mike, the peace of mind you have when you know that you can go out this week and you follow this model and you will make money, period. Not to worry about it. Buy scan yeah. books at my model. I will make money. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. You don't even got to keep track of your numbers. You just do it once and figure out where you got to be. That's why we, that's why I built the spreadsheet that I did, that it is, it requires so little maintenance. You just, you know, you enter your receipts and uh, you send your books in and then you download an Amazon report that the query will automatically pull in for you. And now we have it set up so that it'll merge uh, years for us and we can look back across time and, and uh, the answers are right there. So what do you see the evolution of your model doing? Or is it just going to be, is this is the model never needs to change? Well, of course it, it potentially would need to change, you know, the, the, you know, because Amazon's model isn't what it was 20 years ago or what it was five years ago, you know, and, and you know, they're going to dictate how we need to morph. Things are a little different in my world, too. Now that I'm collecting Social Security, you know, I'm going to keep things around a thousand dollars a month, which means I'll work a couple of days, you know, something in that range. Uh, do another grand a month for my wife on the eBay account. I switched it over to her name before the beginning of the year. Um, so. Yeah, and even if I only make half of that, I'm still, you know, Social Security more than covers all of my bills and then some. So, um, yeah, but I'll still certainly keep up on it, you know, stay part of the group. And, you know, as you know, uh, you know, I do anything I can to help anybody out in the group. So, no, you've gone above and beyond, and all the work you've done uh, for the group all is highly appreciated. So, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, last week I even drug one of the guys on. He's like, well, I'll try and figure this out. I'm like, I got my room open, dude. Get your butt over here. And I think we were. I think we spent two and a half hours the other night and he's uh he's one of the newer guys. It's uh, it's the best thing that uh, my membership offers and it's not even mine. Right. I got nothing to do with it. It's, it's Paul and his analytics and a spreadsheet. <laughs> I'm just like, Hey, I stumbled across this guy on the corner. He knows a lot of stuff. <laughs> so someone's sending you a cut of his YouTube money, right, Paul? Right. That's not, it's not why I do it. You know, it, it's, <laughs> You know, none of us get through life on our own, right? There's no, there's no magic book in in doing. You know, I don't care what you're reselling, right? You pay for your, you know, you pay for all everything that we do, whether it's with your time on YouTube, your time in experimenting, you pay with your money, you know, and figuring this out. Um, so your education gets paid for one way or the other. And, and people have helped me out along the way, just from a YouTube perspective. And Mike's such a nice guy and everybody in the group was great. And I'm like, let's, let's do a couple classes and make this work. I will attest that I didn't know nothing about Excel when I started his class. And this is going to be something that I talk about, you know, 50 years down the road, it took me 50 minutes to install Microsoft Excel to even get into his first class. And, uh, now I can upload my spreadsheet, you know, it takes two seconds to do. And I, I think the overall takeaway here is that no matter what happens, 
sooner or later, you're going to have to raise your profit, what you're looking to get. It's never going to go down. Your, your potential when you're out scanning, it's never going to go from $5 to $4. You're always going to be working up. So why not put the pieces in place now to be smarter, work smarter, not harder. This is basically, you know, the perfect example of it to where you're being more selective on what you're out there buying. You're actually looking at what you're buying. You're not just buying it because it says to buy and understanding your business down to that exact number where, you know, if I buy a book, I'm making money on it. Unlike me where, I, oh yeah, I'm buying this four, $4 profit book when in actuality I was probably losing, you know, 10 25 cents when that sold, but I never knew that because I was just going off the initial, you know, scat IQ screen. Right. And everything does end up being averages. You know, we need to know what our average buy cost is. I may be buying books anywhere from 49 cents to $12, but what's my average? And that's what I keep in scout IQ for me, you know, is what my average is because that's what it's going to be in the end. And that's how, from an IRS perspective, when we go to do our taxes, it's never getting down to a book level. I bought 50 books this month. I sold 40. How much did you spend for the for the 50? And, and you get to write 40 of them off because that's what you sold this month. And it's just the average of the books that you that you have and you have a running average you know each month throughout the year it just it just skews each month and then you have a carryover you know from 2022 to 2023 we're going to end up with x amount of books and inventory at an average cost price that's just our starting number of inventory so if we know what the you know the averages are because you know your numbers then it makes making decisions in the fields easier maybe not easy but it makes them easier because we've all been standing at those books do i get this do i not get this it's, you know when it's on the fence uh I, I if it's in my cart at the and i'm at the register i'm making money what that's is what i want to know expensive book you bought this year dollar wise uh 30 bucks mine was 22 yeah 30 and i, I didn't buy a lot of books over that ten dollar number um and i think last year it was probably about 25 dollars. i bought a uh i bought a bible that uh and it didn't sell for a ton like 75 but you know 50 dollars profit is 50 dollars profit right you know it's a high cost of goods for us but uh yeah those have to be pretty known winners to spend that amount of money on them and i and i think for me this year it was a it was a it was a graphic novel nice i guess i'll I'll, I'll tailspin off this question. What is the most you would ever pay for a book? Or does it matter? If the market... It doesn't matter. Exactly. doesn't matter. doesn't matter. It, it, I, I care about how much money I'm going to make, right? Now, assuming you have the cash flow to be able to do it, right? Because right. if you're buying $2,000 books and, and they take two months to sell and you got 50 of them, you, you know, you got to have pretty deep pockets or a credit card with, you know, some, uh, you know, a deep well in it. So, right. uh, no, I care about how much I'm going to make and, and, you know how what how long the tail is does come into play there johnny i mean if it's you know what it's going to be uh, but I, I really don't care as long as i can move it in a timely fashion doesn't matter what i pay for it i was listening to some guy a while back he mentioned very something similar to him that he transformed he was doing the like the five buck model but then he started upping his buy cost both a higher margin at the end of it and he made out all right actually i think he made two hundred fifty thousand dollars for the year it's I think he was on uh, Caleb's channel at some point, one of their little get-together seminars. He was speaking about that. Right. Yep. You don't lose money. You just find less. You take home less. So don't get in the mindset that you're not bringing as many books home, so you're not making as much money. It's almost the complete opposite. You're bringing less home and making more money. Because if you look at it on the, the scale of Amazon, they're going to take their flat 
seven fifty eight dollars. So you sell a book for twelve, and you're not getting nowhere near half of that. Where Paul sells his book for thirty, he's probably getting closer to fifty five percent of that sale. So you're actually making more money when you're selling higher dollar items on Amazon than your lower dollar stuff. Right now, what I'm trying to figure out in my head with Paul's model, how do I still keep my my big old dream in the sky of my book factory going, right? Warehouse employees. I think he mentioned that. It's the same thing, except they're, instead of staying in the factory, I'm sending those employees more out of the factory to come back to the factory. Because like you said, you pick it up a lot less, right? And there's only so many bad hours you personally can do during the day. So that's a very interesting thing for me to digest and think on this year how would i do that with paul's model because i like paul's model very much i'm just trying to figure out how to do that in big scale uh, i think we're gonna we're gonna give our final thoughts here on numbers before we get out of here so I'm, I'm gonna, i'll give mine and then we can go to johnny and then we'll let paul end it off since he's the numbers the numbers guy so for me like i said i didn't know my numbers down to the point where i know exactly how much i'm making it was 100% eye-opening to me to see after all your expenses, all your, all your costs, all your fees, fees you don't even see on Amazon that exist. You know, you're not not including the storage fees, things like that, removal fees all across the board. Um, it's it's going to change your whole perspective on your business, no matter what you're doing, whether you're doing media, anything. It's going to completely change how you how you source and the choices you make when you're outsourcing. I think that's the biggest takeaway is you want to work smarter, not harder, and you want to make money. And you want to know when you buy something at the store that you're going to make money on that item guaranteed. You don't want to have to worry about if the price tanks, if it sits in the warehouse for a month, what you're, you know, what things you, things you're not thinking about. You don't want to have to worry about that. So you want to have a business model in place where, you know, you go into thrift store, whatever you leave with, I'm guaranteed that I'm going to make money on that item. So I'm going to, I'm going to leave it there. I love understanding my numbers on that scale. I know it might sound like kind of micromanaging to be like, well, why do you got to know how much you made exactly on every book? But honestly, if you don't know your numbers, you, for all you know, you're losing money, right? You're just getting the money back or less that you send out because people aren't keeping track down to that you know level of exactly what the sell through is on a book and how much they made on a specific book. So get smart about your numbers. That's my last uh, go ahead with the numbers. So I'll throw it over to Johnny B. See, I think for me, the big learning thing this year was how much can I make on listing very, very low? And I got my results on that. So I know my answer. Um, you can make a decent amount of money, but you can't make a lot of money doing it, at least as a solo person doing it the way this way is done. And even on a larger scale, it would require a huge operation to do and a lot of money to sink in to do it that way. Um, so that's why I'm going to be transitioning uh, after talking to Mike and Paul um, a lot to for a more, again, work, work smarter, not harder kind of model. Um, and I think that will do me well. I know how to do it at the lower end if I ever need to do it for whatever reason. Like Amazon shut the doors. I'm just stuck with eBay. Well, I know how to play the eBay game. eBay game is a fun game to play, and I'm still playing it. Um, but I'm going to focus more on Amazon this year and using mainly what Paul uh, and Mike's models are uh, going forward. So, Pia. Numbers guy, here we go. The, the yes, grand finale. Me. And I heard a story way back when, once, and uh, I forget what the, the initial topic was, but it's that there's an archery 
contest held every year for the best of the best of the best. And the world champion is going to be there. And most of the time when, when this guy enters the competition, everybody else drops out because they never have a chance. And I tell you that you're going to enter this contest and you're going to beat him without any question. You're going to beat him. And I know you've never shot a bow and arrow. And of course, I'll have to insist that he's blindfolded. Um, and you can't hit a target you don't have. And if you don't know what your numbers are, then you're guessing. And at the end of the year, your wife's going, I thought we were making more money than this, or your girlfriend, or your landlord, or your mortgage holder, whatever. So if you know your numbers and you want to increase your game, it's the only way to go. All right. We appreciate you all listening. Hopefully when you're listening to this on Wednesday, uh, you see Paul here, he's wearing a Cowboys hat. Hopefully the Cowboys have won their game here against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So fingers crossed for that. Tom uh, Brady. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Unbelievable. This guy's hating on Tom Brady, but it is what it is, right? He knows his numbers, so he can hate on whoever he wants because he knows at the end of the day, he's making a whole bunch of money selling books on Amazon and he has a buy cost and an average sales price that we can only dream about having as cherry pickers, right? So get smarter. Maybe you don't take, you know, the full leap today and you go, you go crazy with it and you're looking for 25 plus dollar profit items. But I challenge everybody that listens to this to take a step back. Uh, if you don't know your numbers and you, and you're in the group, you're in the YouTube membership, just dive into his spreadsheet. He's doing classes again. He's available all the time. All you got to do is shoot him a message and he'll, uh, he'll walk you through everything. And, and just start being smarter with it. You know, have, have a higher expectation for your time, value your time a little bit more and, and just get comfortable with leaving, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, $10 profit books behind. It's okay. It's less work for you. And it might be saving you money in the long run because I guarantee you don't know exactly how much you're making on those today. So we will talk to you guys in the next episode. Everybody have a good one. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Resellers Mindset Podcast. Today's full episode and all previous episodes are available to all YouTube members along with the weekly Zoom call and private Discord. Head on over to youtube.com backslash the used book guy and consider joining for as little as $2.99 a month.